0: The following podcast is part of the Joy Road Media family. Enjoy!
1: Welcome to Camp Creep, a podcast focusing on anthology horror. Starting with
2: Tales from the Crypt.
1: Hello! I'm Camp Counselor Lauren Jewell. And I'm your least favorite Camp Counselor, Tish Delano. A.K.A. The Healthy One. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) If you can't tell, we're both our voices sound maybe sound a little off Lauren's more than mine. We are both sick. Not COVID. Both, both negative. negative. Yes. Negative test results, <laughs> folks. Negative. But we're not sure who got who's sick or what
2: You know what? We can blame <laughs> me because I spent Thanksgiving with toddlers and we all yes. know toddlers are cute little balls of germs.
1: Patient zeros. But also I had a coworker who was sick and who came in while still hacking. So we're both like, eh, we probably exchanged a lot of germs during our last recording <laughs> session. So,
2: I think my personal goal for this episode, besides letting you do pretty
1: much all of the talking, my dream. Fuck you too. <laughs> I love you. I love That's you. a joke if you know me. <laughs> you know how much I love to talk and how devastating it was when I lost my voice for the last couple days.
2: <laughs> it was really sad. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe whenever I do talk, I will just purposely try to do the crypt keeper
1: voice. I think that could make things worse for you. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I do have a fun update. So I'm ADHD. Uh, no way. <laughs> yeah, I No know. fucking way. <laughs> Who knew? Only everyone that's ever known me or listened to me talk for more than five minutes. But so, of course, ADHD TikTok. It's a great time suck of mine. And mm-hmm. there is a TikToker named Asaurus, I think is how you say her
2: name. I fucking love that name.
1: I'll tell uh, you that uh, much. She's awesome. I'm so in love with her. And she went on a tangent about... Wiki feet and I was like, hold up, wait. <laughs> I was like, you've got my interest. And if you haven't listened, if you skipped, like, if you've skipped around, you may not know we've I've been on a quest. I've made it my mission. I would like the crypt keeper to have his own wiki feet page someday because his disgusting little feet freak me out. But I feel they they are so disgusting. They deserve recognition. So apparently she found out she has a wiki feet because I guess if you have to have an IMDb page, then somebody can create a wiki feet account about you. And she found out she had a wiki page. So I was like oh, no, that means the Crypt Keeper can't. And then I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have
2: my hand up over here.
1: Yeah.
2: Does that mean John Kassir could have
1: a wiki beat? Could have? Uh, more like, does. <gasps> so there, so Wiki, there's Wiki Feet, and what I didn't know is that it was separated by gender, who, like, by the gender binary. So there's a Wiki Feet men. So I went there and I put in John Cassier, and turns out, yes, John Kassir, there's like some TV show. I can't remember what show it was. It was something that looked familiar to me. It's old, and he's like in a kitchen, and I guess he's in bare feet. Like, there's only two photos. It's only from that that the only time I guess John Kassir has been barefoot or that somebody has bothered to screenshot it and <laughs> upload it to Wikifeet Men, but oh my god. Hey campers, we've got some updates for this week's bulletin board. I like to call this the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're gonna go in reverse because this episode has the good, the bad, and the ugly. The ugly is that there are heavy displays of child abuse in this episode, so just a heads up about that, it's pretty upsetting. The bad. This is a very, very, very dark episode. Episode with none of the usual humor. You know, we keep getting those, but we like to give you a heads up just in case that's not your jam and you like to watch the episodes after you listen to us talk about it. Just wanted to give you that warning. But the good is this episode is kind of epic because it is the only episode that features an entirely black cast. I wish the writer and director were also black, but what you gonna do? It was the 90s, but that is the one good thing about this episode. (laughs) And because this is such
2: a dark episode, I did write a few jokes in my notes. They're not great, but there is an effort, campers.
1: Uh, there uh, was an effort. Yeah, most of my humor is just calling people out in my sassy way and just trying to lash on to, oh, did the Crypt Keeper say something funny? And as a tiny, tiny palette cleanser for
2: our bulletin board, campers, people did leave us a review. We actually got two. Oh. However, since both of your camp Counselor sound. (laughs) Just like that. Sorry. (laughs) I'm leaving it in. We're not going to read them this week. We will hopefully have them read for the next episode, which is a funny one. So there's that. Are you ready to go creeping through that crypt? I am ready to not only creep through that crypt, but maybe take a side quest and take a nap. The catacombs look awfully cuddly.
1: Mm, catacomb nap.
2: Catacomb comatose? Comatose? Is it comatose or comatose? Comatose.
1: Coma, <laughs> coma, 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 comatose. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I guess I should check and see if that tea I gave you was expired or something. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren may be having, like, a full-on uh, a trip here. You know how, like, rye bread goes bad and, all like, a whole village had an LSD trip? I wonder if that can happen with that uh, tea I gave you.
2: Oh, yeah. Camp counselor Tish gave me tea. I'm not sure of the effects yet.
1: I don't know if it's doing anything. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's doing anything. Although, like I said, I have no idea how long that was in the cabinet. Sorry about that.
2: Well, campers, if I die, just make sure that everybody knows that I worked to
1: give my cats the life that that they deserved. Amen. Shameless plug not sponsored. I am drinking delicious shy tea mix from the Raven Cafe, an Edgar Allan poe themed coffee shop in Port Huron, Michigan. So just wanted to give them a plug because I like Sadat and I love the Raven. So that's it. There is-
2: All right, campers and camp counselor Tish, this week's creeporosity is actually brought to you by my friend James. He studied mortuary science and is going to become a funeral director one day. And I thought he would be the best expert to discuss. Extreme embalming.
0: Ooh. Hi folks, as mentioned my name is James and I'm a mortuary science student and pending funeral director here in the state of Indiana. I've been asked to give a quick overview of what's called extreme embalming. To understand extreme embalming and what makes it work, I think we need to have a quick review of embalming itself. Embalming is a process that helps preserve the remains of a deceased person. Formaldehyde is the active ingredient in most arterial chemicals injected during embalming. The formaldehyde interacts with the proteins that make us all up by coagulating them or in even simpler terms, binding them together. This process is what causes embalmed bodies to mostly be become much more rigid than a non-embalmed person. What's been called extreme embalming is where you ramp this process up and use very strong arterial chemicals to get the proteins as rigid as possible. If you do this while posing the person in a certain way, as the chemicals work over time, it will lock the deceased into whatever pose they are currently in. They will then remain in that pose for a very long period of time. The reasons why people may choose to do this are personal and may vary between every family. I know it is growing in popularity with all cultures as we seek new and alternate ways to celebrate the lives of the people we love. Personally, I think it's more about seeing the deceased more as they were in life than have a new image created of them in death. Thanks again, everyone, and that's been today's Funeral Factoid.
2: So yeah, that's extreme embalming, and I will have to show you a photo of what it looks like.
1: I need this. The, this is, like, if I die, and there's enough of me left to do this, I would like to be extreme embalmed, and I will immediately, as soon as I go home tonight, start brainstorming on poses that I would like to be post-in for my funeral. Hang on.
2: When you say assuming there is enough left of you, what do you think is going to happen? What okay. is your cause of death in this situation, now?
1: Okay, so, ma'am? death via some sort of fireball. There would not be enough of me left. Eat by my cats, or they don't find my body in time, because man, my fiancé sure can dig a hole. <laughs>
2: Which is a callback to last
1: week's episode of Camp Crete Podcast. Yes, and in case you don't understand that reference, no I do not think my fiancé is going to kill me. I just very much fear and admire his ability to dig a quick and deep grave. Alright, well. This is Season 2, Episode 12, Fitting Punishment. And this
2: is your scene. of Synopsis! This episode of Tales from the Crypt is based off of the 16th issue of the Vault of Horror Comic. Welcome to Thorntonbury Funeral Home. Funeral director Ezra Thorntonberry is a simple man who values one thing above all else money. However, when his nephew Bobby shows up one day and tells him that he is moving in, he isn't exactly thrilled about it. That is, until he realizes that means free labor. Guess you could say that Ezra can put his up and relax a little. Shenanigans ensue and
1: everybody gets what they deserve. So this episode opens on the Crypt Keeper shooting some hoops, playing some b-ball. And despite being shorter than me and a corpse, he is still a better basketball player than me. <laughs>
2: what I do personally enjoy <laughs> is that he's not even throwing balls. He's throwing
1: skulls that he found around the Crypt. And also Crypt Keeper gave me a new career goal. I Want to be a fear leader? See 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 see. Go camp creep. That would sound better if I weren't sick, but yeah.
2: I, I love it. I see some potential here. I'm currently busy imagining what our fear leader outfits would look like. I do assume that it would be the Crypt Keeper color. So, you know, green and purple.
1: Yeah, totally. And I'm here for this. Maybe we'll have to get these outfits together whenever we make it to the cover of Play Dead magazine. Ooh. The girls of Gap Creep. Ooh, the ghouls. The ghouls of Camp Creep. Ooh. Yes. <sighs> Adding that to the bucket list. Yes. We open on Thornton Funeral Home, where there is a funeral service going on inside. And it's so loud inside that you
2: can hear everything on the street. Not a single attendee can carry a tune. In their defense, they are mourning. That's true. So a truck pulls up and a guy gets out of it and he's got a suitcase, clothes on his back, and a basketball. And he approaches this funeral home, dribbling the basketball, in what I believe is a
1: very nervous habit. Hey, nothing wrong with stimming, my man. So he walks in, realizes there is a funeral service going on, and everyone stops singing and turns to stare at him. Because he dropped the ball. <laughs> Literally, figuratively. <laughs> funeral director, Ezra Thorntonberry, which F you every single source on this episode, which calls everyone the Thornberries, which sent me on a mental rabbit hole of thinking about the Wild Thornberries when I was doing my notes for this episode. Smashing! (laughs) Yes. That was a typo that has been just copied over and over and over again onto different sites. Ezra Thorntonberry escorts the mourners out, closes the curtain as if that's going to do anything and then drops his sweet old funeral director act and becomes a real dick. Mm
2: -hmm. There is an organ player playing the organ very lovely. His name is Clyde and Ezra tells him to knock it off and go get the hearse and then he looks at Bobby clearly not recognizing this young man
1: and tells him to get out of here because the party is over. Yes, he doesn't even recognize recognize his own nephew and thinks he is a mourner left over from the funeral. Bobby asks if Ezra remembers him and Ezra says, thank the Lord, no, <laughs> <Ezra> Rudis- <laughs> fuck. Such a dick. Bobby reveals that he is Ezra's nephew. His parents, Ezra's sister and her husband, died in a head-on collision. Bobby has now been sent to live with his uncle Ezra now that he's an orphan. Hearing that Bobby's
2: mother, his sister, was in a car accident on a head-on collision seems to be the only thing that Ezra is interested in because, campers, did you know that an accident that gruesome is good for business. Gross. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Ezra does not even blink or seem remotely affected by the loss of his sister. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine that dude's got too many close relationships in his life with anyone, let alone his own family. So Ezra at first seems really put out by the idea of Bobby having to take care of Bobby, but it occurs to him that Bobby may have some use after all. And so then he starts demonstrating how things work at the funeral home, such as how he makes... Extra money on the side. So Ezra demonstrates to Bobby how he rips the gold teeth out of the corpses after the funeral services over. God helps those who help themselves.
2: Ezra does this thing where he's taking Bible quotes and applying them to work in his favor. So,
1: like, what organized religions do. (laughs) So Bobby nervously starts to dribble the basketball again, I mean, which, frankly, he's already in a pretty uncomfortable situation, orphaned, sent to live with a stranger, turns out the stranger is a grade A asshole, and then he just watched this guy rip the teeth out of a corpse.
2: Yeah, Bobby is handling
1: this like a champ. Yeah. A good if you will Hey but Ezra does not like the sound of that basketball Ezra
2: says if you keep bouncing that ball I'll bounce your
1: balls out of here which I thought was pretty clever that is a great quote like I, every, I, every so many episodes I hear a quote I'm like man I want an opportunity to use that in real life <laughs> He then shows Bobby to his, uh, put in air quotes, his room. It is a small, what looks like maybe used to be like a little storage room that has a metal gurney and that's, and a bare light bulb. And that is it and there's no pad on this gurney there's no cushion no pillow nothing just literally like yeah here's this thing we used to transport corpses on Uh, there you go put some bedding on it you'll be fine oh and this is when we see ezra's cheap the first sign of ezra's cheapness
2: this is the first time are you sure about that i feel like this is the third (laughs) he took a woman's teeth like tooth
1: out. Listen, I used to work in the scrap metal industry. Oh, like God. I, you know, I, I really should reach out to some of the former coworkers to ask, like. Have teeth ever come through? It's a legitimate question that if you're a listening. Question. But Ezra has a whole thing, makes a big point about turning out the light, plunging Bobby into total darkness in this creepy little room. Did you notice that every time Ezra starts to say something,
2: also in quotations, wise, <laughs> Rock of Ages starts to play in the background? I did not notice that. Every time he, like, goes off on, like, this whimsical, deep, philosophical, that's a word. That's a totally word. Biblical. There is a creepy rendition of Rock of Ages. It's a little unpleasant.
1: (laughs) Ezra then starts training Bobby on how to prep the courses for, again, in air quotes, embalming. And Christ, is it gross? (laughs) Yeah, you know if
2: the situation was a little bit different for why Bobby is there this would be pretty
1: cool yeah yeah it like the whole thing when when in context one I mean it's it's a little gross because Ezra is an incredibly sloppy quote unquote embalmer Mm -hmm. Uh, and you'll see why I'm putting embalmer in quotes in just a second but Ezra is so sloppy so there's blood dripping and uh, uh, it's gross and then you put at in the context of this poor child is an orphan. Literally, this is his first day with a complete stranger who's supposedly his uncle. Like, good god, how traumatizing must that be for
2: this child? <laughs> and Bobby points out that this doesn't seem right and he's like, shouldn't there be chemicals? And Ezra says, he's dead, you damn fool. He doesn't know the difference.
1: Yeah, because Ezra, instead of hooking the tube that goes into the body up to like a canister of embalming fluid, just hooked it up to the sink and is embalming the body using tap water.
2: Let that sink in, campers. Tap water. Water, And then we have another wise moment from Ezra. Yes, because his
1: justification is, as the Bible says, a penny saved, a penny earned.
2: And poor, poor Bobby points out,
1: but wasn't that Ben Franklin? And he gets his first slap. Then Ezra reveals his other penny-pinching cheat. He gets his coffins from Taiwan. They're small and cheaper, and nobody knows the difference, according to Ezra. So,
2: it's been some time since Bobby started doing the embalming. And now he can do it by himself, even though he looks extremely uncomfortable. And I do not blame this kid. No. Unfortunately, although Bobby is apparently trusted enough to work by himself, Ezra, being who he is as a person, seems to have epic hearing. And when Bobby turns off the faucet, it like drips, you know, like an afterthought, like you've had it on for a long time. It happens. And Ezra runs downstairs screaming at Bobby about it. And he says, do you think that water grows on trees? Now, I'm not a scientist, but I don't think that's how that works.
1: (laughs) I mean, you can get water from a tree, from plants, technically. Mm -hmm. But this gets Bobby slapped once again. You can tell The abuse has been ramping up in the time we haven't seen. Like, clearly Bobby gets slapped for the most minor of infractions. It's like Ezra is looking for things to beat this poor child over. And the body Bobby was working on was Mrs. Johnson. And we cut to her funeral. It's wrapping up. And once again, Ezra is so absolutely abusive to Clyde, almost taking off his fingertips by slamming down the cover of the organ almost right down on his hands.
2: I don't love how he treats Clyde, but I also clearly don't love how he treats Bobby. I just don't like Ezra. There is nothing likable about this man. Not even an effort on
1: his character. After Mrs. Johnson's funeral, Bobby gets sent down to measure a young Mr. Jeffries for his casket. The very important thing that happens
2: here is when Bobby reads the the Toe tag It very Very
1: Specifically Says Oak Casket Oak So as he's Measuring the body Which is a Very tall Young man The body Twitches And obviously, that's a little upsetting for Bobby. And I have a little thing here, because I'm aware that, not from experience, thank God, uh, that dead bodies twitch. Heard that a lot, that, you know, dead bodies move and groan and do things that, you know, upset people in the morgue and stuff. But according to sciencealert.com, I think this was from 2019, new research showed that the dead may not always rest in peace, quite literally. For more than a year, a full year after death, corpses move around. And this is in quotes, significantly. I don't
2: like this. I don't
1: like this at all. It gives new meaning to, oh, there he's spinning in his grave. Ha ha ha. Yuck, 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 yuck. Funny that you mentioned
2: the phrase spinning in their grave. Yeah. Because the other day I left my house With my hair still in curlers and I had to look up towards the sky and I said, Jennifer, I'm so sorry, but your daughter had shit to do. (laughs) So mom, I'm sorry I did that. I now believe you very well could have been turning in your grave. Hey, yo. I mean, she's been passed since 2008, so I would fucking hope
1: not, but still. You never know. Fuck Uh you, science! Thank you for that, science. <laughs> so then Ezra is showing the coffin that he ordered for young Mr. Jeffries off to, I would assume, senior Mr. Jeffries, the dad. And the dad gets quite upset. Pine? Pine? Oh, no. He ordered oak. Only the best for his boy.
2: Ezra then has to go find Bobby and once again starts screaming at this poor kid, telling him it's his fault that he ordered a pine coffin. And Bobby makes a mistake of swearing to god that he told him oak and because poor bobby took the lord's name in vain ezra feels very justified and taking a fucking crowbar and start beating
1: this kid Seriously, like, I, as I'm watching this scene go down, I'm just going, what the fuck? Oh, my God. Like, that is quite the um the mental jump there of, oh, well, clearly, Bobby, you owe me some money, this pine coffin, to, well, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to beat you with this crowbar instead. As one does. Yeah, yeah, apparently as one does if you're Ezra. And then Ezra gets mad because Bobby doesn't jump right back up on his feet after being beat Eaten with a crowbar. The poor child is laying on the ground screaming and crying in agony. Oh, I yeah, feel this so
0: terrible. It's
1: fucking dark. I was oh, like I, you know, I, I love horror. I've watched some really horrific things that people are like, how the hell could you watch it? But you know what? I hate watching child abuse. It abuse of any kind is like super upsetting to watch in a in a horror film. So
2: a doctor makes a house call and tells Ezra read that his nephew suffered severe spinal trauma and will never walk again and asks how did it happen he fell down the stairs you know he's a real athlete and he was just running around the
1: place And the doctor says, not anymore. Yeah, and the closing shot of that scene, it just makes it really clear that Bobby's life is permanently altered because they do a close-up, a zoom-in on his Air Jordans and the basketball. And it's like, okay, listen, this was already sad. Did you have to go there too? Like, just make it, take it that, that extra inch. So, Ezra
2: is now sitting in his office looking over an overdue doctor's bill. Well, here's what it says a house call to examine back injury of bobby davis diagnosis of severe back trauma prescribed i'm not gonna try to pretend i know how to say this drug but i'm assuming a painkiller probably the total due for a house call all of the above One hundred and fifty. Five dollars.
1: Fuck right off. That's no. so cheap. I just saw a, me- a screenshot of a medical bill on Reddit where a woman was charged $11. Uh, I guess she cried or something during, oh. uh, I think, I can't remember if it was childbirth or like a procedure, but there, there was something of like expressed emotion. $11. Like, oh my like, God. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, literally, if you've ever seen the breakdown of medical bills, like you'll want to tear your hair up. So yeah, that's pretty fucking cheap, right? <laughs> so I don't know what the hell Ezra's bitching about, cause I know, I know there has been inflation since then, but come on man, for a house call?
2: So now on crutches, Bobby comes to Ezra's office looking for him and asking him if he's seen his heir Jordans. And for a brief moment, a very, very brief moment, I thought maybe Ezra was about to have some sort of, I'm a piece of shit and I need to do better because he is not making eye contact at Bobby. He is looking away at every chance. And Ezra tells him that he sold his Air Jordans to pay for Bobby's bills. Which which apparently he didn't actually pay if he has an overdue bill, because Air Jordans are pretty fucking
1: expensive, even back then, I assume. They were. My dad has always been a Jordans man, and they've always been really expensive shoes. So Bobby, justifiably, does not react well to this. And it escalates to the point where he threatens to call the sheriff, which is valid. I mean, he's been beaten. He's continuing to be abused at, even after this incident. And now his guardian has stolen his shoes. His shoes. Uh, clearly his only pair of
2: shoes. I also enjoy that when Ezra is complaining about how Bobby is only going to cost him money, that Bobby says, well, you should have thought about that before you hit me with a crowbar. Big
1: Ope energy. Drop that mic Bob. Proud of you, Bobby. That mic, yes. Ezra then starts ranting about the pine coffin going to waste because it's just another example of how Bobby's just draining him of money. Ugh. And then an idea comes to Ezra's head,
2: and usually I really like a good light bulb moment, no. but this is not a good no. light bulb moment. No, this this is like the light bulb moment in Final Destination three and the tanning bed when the two chicks burn to death.
1: <laughs> that is a great moment. Really.
2: So was my mom's favorite scene.
1: Yeah, the look on his face, you could just see the evil cogs starting to turn as this idea forms. So we cut to Bobby and in the basement somehow. He's just clearly got done doing his work for Uncle Ezra and he now needs to get back up the stairs. But the thing is, is I was trying to figure it out at first until the camera panned down a little bit. Bobby is on crutches and the doctor's correct. Bobby cannot use his legs. So Bobby's literally supporting himself on just These aren't fancy crutches. These are normal. You sprained your ankle, broke your foot, whatever. Under your armpit. Crutches of this child is balancing himself on, and he now has to go up a flight of stairs.
2: Yeah, I'm not really sure how he does this. I am impressed, worried, and impressed. But when Bobby makes it up the stairs, his
1: Uncle Ezra is there with his basketball. And he takes the basketball, throws it at Bobby, knocking him back down the stairs and killing him. Which is where this episode
2: went from really sad and dark to so much sadder and so much darker because this scene is not over. But wait, it gets worse. (laughs) Oof. Ezra gives zero fucks that he just killed his nephew, goes to put him inside the pine casket, only to find out that Bobby is too tall and he doesn't fit all the way. But guess what, everybody? Ezra's got a buzz saw. No worries. <laughs> he's a problem solver, that Ezra. He's got that saw and he cuts his nephew's legs
1: off. I should mention that the whole time he's working on Bobby, embalming him, cutting his legs off, he's, like, humming a little ditty. He is not disturbed by this at all. There's – as he's sawing the legs off, there's blood spraying everywhere, and he's just totally unfazed by the entire thing. Like, like he's slicing up some deli meat, like (laughs) – (sighs) apologies to to any campers who who have to do that as a part of your job for putting that visual in your head. (laughs) You're doing great. So Ezra buries Bobby in a private ceremony with only Clyde, Ezra, and the doctor in attendance.
2: But we do get a really cool, like, shot at this point because we see the casket being lowered into the grave. And that's where the camera stays, and it's angled up towards the men. And I thought it looked really cool. Yeah,
1: I guess you could say grave uh, grave eye view. It was a grave idea. Ah, yay. The doctor notes how strange it is that Bobby fell down the stairs again, and how strange it is that such a tall boy could fit into such a short coffin dun 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 red flag funeral right he is
2: on to ezra's bullshit Mm -hmm. later that day they're back at the funeral home and the organ player clyde goes up to ezra giving him his keys and tells him he knows that bobby didn't die on accident
1: that he knows what he knows and he quits yes he can't prove it but he cannot spend one more moment working for ezra but ezra is like whatever i'll be fine i don't need anybody later
2: that evening there's a knock on the door it's around midnight so it's pretty strange that there'd be anyone there but he decides to go check and when he
1: opens the door nobody's there Strange. Clearly, it's just some hooligans messing with him. I love the word hooligan. I know. I was, just, I was so excited to write it in my notes. It's one of the few things that gave me joy. <laughs> um, there's an epic storm brewing outside, which I felt really heightened the events. The following events, you can hear the sound of thunder like echoing throughout the funeral home, which I don't know how the hell people are like can handle being in a freaking funeral home during a storm. Like, no, that- thank you. <laughs> I'm out. Then
2: Ezra hears the dripping from the faucet in the basement and goes downstairs to shut it off again. But please note, when he turns it off, it's still dripping. I think it
1: was a thing of like, you turned it off, but oh look, I turned it back on, bitch. Oh, I like it. Water does grow on trees, motherfucker. <laughs> At this
2: point, Ezra thinks that this is Clyde trying to scare him into
1: getting his job back. But no, it is not Clyde. He hears upstairs the sound of the basketball bouncing, and it comes bouncing down the stairs from the second floor. It remind I can't think of what horror movie it is. This is one of those moments where everyone at home is probably going to be screaming oh, at us. I have the answer. Do you? It's Pet Cemetery, uh, Where something comes b- bouncing? Okay. Yeah. Or The Conjuring. Okay. Yeah, I think both are right. Like- When I watched that scene, I was like, oh, this unsettles me, like, a lot because I have seen this before. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: also think it happens in The Changeling
1: from, like, the... The 80s? Yeah. Yeah. Not the Angelina Jolie... No. ...drama. Yeah, the actual horror film, The Changeling. Mm -hmm. I feel Uh, like it happens in there, too.
2: This part finally seems to creep Ezra the fuck out, but the fear increases when there's more noises coming from the basement again, and he walks over to the top of the stairs
1: to investigate. Gate. yes and you can see the lights flickering in the basement even though he turned them off and you can hear the water dripping and you can hear the thunder outside and then an air jordan clad foot comes out of nowhere and this is sparta kicks his ass down the stairs
2: <laughs> yes And when Ezra lands on the bottom of the basement floor, he can't move because his legs are broken. And in a moment
1: that is both awe-inspiring, gross terrifying terrifying but also like i give like because of the time period it looked cool so i give them kudos for being able to pull off this effect down the stairs walk air jordans with no legs attached uh, well there's little severed feet in them but oh. there's no legs
2: and then the cellar door opens and you can see bobby coming down using his crutches And he says a beautifully epic line. But while he's saying this, you also notice that Ghost Bobby is holding the very same crowbar that Ezra beat him with. What does
1: he say, Camp Counselor Tish? Like it says in the Bible, Uncle Ezra blood is thicker than water. Boom, bitch! Boom, bitch! Sick burn. Oh, I mean, I think the sick burn is followed with Bobby like swinging that crowbar down on Uncle Ezra the way he deserved it. Yeah. I had Steven sitting next to me as I was watching, you know, taking my notes for this episode. And he he caught like the last half. And when that happened, he was just like, went, Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, he goes, That was dark. I was like, Yeah, now shut up. I have to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're back in the crypt. Oh, And the Crypt Keeper is wearing the same Air Jordans. Oh, Crypt Keeper. And then he makes a bunch of puns that made Stephen very
2: uncomfortable. The only one I liked enough to write down was, Bobby got a pretty severe case of athlete's foot.
1: <laughs> oh, waka, waka, waka.
0: Well, hello, my friend. This is CK from the Murths and Monsters podcast. Join me, my companion Finn, and my occasionally satanically possessed cat Ray, as we investigate the real truths behind some of the most wonderful creatures you can imagine. Are trolls really that thick? Or is it just bad press? Are leprechauns really drunken bums? Sort of. But there's a lot more to find out. All you need to do is tune in to Martha's Monsters Podcast with me and Finn. Till next time, Slancha. Your good health.
1: And it's time for everybody's favorite segment. Let's see if I can sing this campers. Who's that cool? <laughs> oh god, that hurt. Oh man, that hurt me. Oh, That made my throat burn, man. I'm so sorry.
2: (laughs) If there are any campers who have listened to this episode the entire way through, you're the real, real MVP. Right.
1: All right. Luckily, this portion has me mostly talking, so that's a good thing. You, You tip your team. This episode was directed by Jack Shoulder. Jack here has some horror creds because... He directed A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, Alone in the Dark, the Omen TV movie from 1995 starring Tales from the Crypt alum Bill Sadler. woo Yes, from Season 1, Episode 1. He also directed Wishmaster 2, Arachnid, and a few episodes of the Tremors TV show. But also... I I had forgotten this existed until I read it in his credits. He directed the Discovery Channel Shark Week movie, 12 Days of Terror. I don't know if they still air it. They, you know, back in the day when Shark Week was still new, they tended to recycle content every year and they know they aired this movie a couple years in a row. That was the movie about, I think it was 1912. There were a bunch of shark attacks in a river. There's conflicting opinions from the experts. They blamed it on a great white that had somehow, like, gotten into this river system. You know, they're saltwater creatures. They don't really do well in freshwater. But I think the theory was, like, that there was a storm that had pushed enough salt water into the river. Some experts say it may have been bull sharks, but yeah, a bunch of people died. There were – Oh, wait, wait. What? Is this a horror movie or is this a real thing? It's a real thing. Like, oh. it actually happened. Oh, no, no, no. This actually oh. happened. Um, Son of a bitch. Yeah, this actually happened. Yeah, it started, there were some homeless men who were bathing in the river that were eaten, and then there were a bunch of children, because it was like summer, I think, and they were out swimming, and they got eaten by a damn shark. Oh, God. (laughs) This trauma. I was so scared of sharks. I hate water. That scared the crap out of me, knowing that. And I can confirm, I am originally from North Carolina. The last time I spent a summer there, long, long time ago, and I was there for hurricane and we were driving across the trenton river and we could see kids fishing and they pulled up a baby shark And my aunt was like, if you look down in the water, you can see sharks because the hurricane pushes the salt water down the river. And we were pretty far from the ocean. And she's like, there's sharks in the river right now. You have to wait until the sharks make their way back out before you can go in the river. And I was like, those poor babies. I know. And I was like, what, this is the thing. This is the thing that happens. And if I had not seen the kids pull up a freaking little shark on their goddamn fishing line, I would not have believed my aunt. I would have thought she was messing with me.
2: Oh, no. But,
1: oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, swim at your own risk, campers. (laughs) Here at Camp Creep, we do not guarantee that our lake is not full of sharks, the large decomposing bodies of former campers who now like to don a hockey mask and murder people. We make no such guarantees here at Camp Creep. These
2: campers may or may not also cause of death could or could not have been because Camp Counselor Tish was smoking the jazz cabbage. And having that premarital sex out in the woods. Tisk.
1: That's me. Okay, and then we get to (laughs) the villain of all villains, Uncle Ezra. Ezra is played by Moses Gunn. Sources for this part of Who's That Ghoul? Aside from my usual IMDb is blackpast.org. So Moses Gunn studied speech and drama at Tennessee State University in 1957 to 1959. And then he went to graduate school at University of Kansas in 1962 at the age of 32, Moses moved to New York to start his acting career. He had an award-winning career in the New York theater scene, and eventually he made his way to Broadway with the show A Hand is on the Gate in
2: 1966. That sounds
1: spooky. Right? I I do want to look that up. (laughs) In 1968, he co-founded an all-Black theater company in New York and starred in the Of Mice and Men TV movie in the role of crooks. And that had a star-studded cast for the time. He then went on to have a successful career in TV and movies with roles in several Shaft films, a little little known TV movie called Roots. He was also on Good Times, The Contender, Little House on the Prairie, Amityville 2, The Possession, The Never-Ending Story, Firestarter, with Drew Barrymore. Yes. Yes. And that's all prior to this episode of Tales from the Crypt. After this episode, uh, he did do some TV movies and was cast in the role of of Judge Richard Ferris in the TV movie The Stand. But sadly, he passed away before filming began. On December sixteenth, 1993, Moses Gunn passed away at the age of 64 due to complications from asthma. I do think the reason I knew that, I think at the end of the
2: first episode, there is one of those in memory of Moses Gunn. That's really sweet. I could be making that up. It's been a minute since I watched The Stand. I'm mostly obsessed with The Shining miniseries.
1: (laughs) But The Stand is great I do have a quote here from Moses. He said, when you talk about actors in film who are black, for a long time, the only one out there at the box office was was Sidney Poitier. Now there are three or four, but not many more. And I, I really hope that, I mean, 93, you know, there were a lot more Black actors. There was so much more representation in TV and movies. Granted, not as much as there could be, but I I really hope he saw the direction that the industry was going. And I I really wish he could be here now to see, you know, how many powerhouse stars there are that are Black, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's incredible. I also really like that how for the
2: last couple of Who's That Ghoul, You found these amazing quotes
1: from the actors. Thank you. And I wish my voice wasn't so (laughs) fucked up because I mean this so sincerely. I, I love when I'm going through somebody's bio and their credits and stuff, I love when I find out that they have like a really inspirational story, and this Who's Dead is packed full of them. But I, I love that, and if I can find a good quote that just, like, something that hits me right in the heart, because believe it or not, your least favorite camp counselor does have a heart. <laughs> then we have Bobby, who was played by John Clare. John kicked off his acting career with a – drummo, please. CBS school break special. Wow. You know how I love these. In 1990, he starred in one called Malcolm Takes a Shot. A teenage athlete is in denial about his epilepsy as he tries to achieve superstardom on the basketball court. He did that literally right before this episode. So I don't know if there was some typecasting going on. <laughs> if they saw him and that, it was like basketball. Uh, uh, like, who knows? But he then went on to do, like said, so this episode was his second Ever acting role, and he had guest roles on Saved by the Bell, Beverly Hills, Nano 2 and O, Diagnosis Murder, mm. and he played Malcolm in Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. I believe I have seen that one. I have not. I'm not a huge fan of, of sequels that, you know, kind of do that downward spiral. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to look up, like, who was he in this? Because the title just didn't click to me, Urban Harvest. And then I was like, oh, no. Clearly, you know, they go into an urban neighborhood and his death scene, there's like a gif of him getting his head ripped off. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, that is so upsetting right now, considering what I just watched in this episode. Oh,
2: people need to stop ripping off this guy's body parts. Right?
1: No wonder he left acting in 1997. Oh. Uh, yeah, he uh, he completely disappeared. No one updates his IMDb. I googled him there. Obviously, John Clare. There's a lot of people with that name, so I couldn't find anything on him. That doesn't mean there's not something there, but yeah, he kind of just probably by choice dropped off the face of the planet. Then we have Clyde, who's played by Teddy Wilson, birth name Theodore Roosevelt Wilson. What a fancy ass name! I, I know. Love it. I know. His mama knew what she would do it. So, Teddy started his acting career in the exploitation film Cotton Comes to Harlem in 1970. He went on to have guest roles on shows such as The Waltons, The Partridge Family, M.A.S.H., All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Golden Girls, Quantum Leap, and he had pretty big roles on Good Times, What's Happening, Sanford Arms, and The Red Fox Show. He worked up until his death on July 21st 1991 sadly at the very young age of 47 so literally like a year after this episode came out he passed oh no. away yeah then we have the doctor
2: you went hardcore I this did was that
1: cool I did because they didn't just pick random they're like ah you're black you can be this episode sure they literally they they went hard on this episode on as far as casting so the doctor is played by Nick Latour Nick was the son of civil rights leader Edgar Nixon. Nick was a television film and stage actor. He started in film and TV in 76 with guest roles on Jefferson's Good Times, What's Happening in the Heat of the Night, Seinfeld, Murder, She Wrote, and he had small roles in films such as Jingle All the Way and (laughs) Don Juan de Marco with Johnny Depp. He also played the role of Older boycott man in the Rosa Parks story, which was a TV movie, which is important to note because his father, remember, civil rights activist, civil rights leader, mm-hmm. his father is the person who posted Rosa Parks's bail when she was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on the bus.
2: That's fucking badass!
1: I know! I was like, oh my, I got chills. I, I really did. Like, that is so cool. So yes, he came from a very strong family. He too worked up until he passed away on February 28th, 2011. Sorry, this is cool. a little bit of a bummer, but so trying to include as much positive stuff as I can. And then, there was one more, and it was, usually I don't do the obscure characters, but I do always check to see if any of the small, you know, on-screen for like 30 second roles have any anything of note and one did Mr. Jeffries is played by Al Fan. Al Fan is a film TV and voice actor much like Teddy Al's first ever role was in Cotton Comes to Harlem and he had roles in films like The French Connection, Casino with Al Pacino, Return to Horror High, Curse to the Bite, Naked Gun, Two and a Half, 90s classic Stop or My Mom will shoot al provided his voice acting talents for cartoons such as the challenge of the super friends plastic man the richie rich scooby-doo show spider-man and his amazing friends the 80s alvin and the chipmunks yay and one of my favorites and it is I believe still on Amazon Prime, one of my favorites to just veg out and watch a pup named Scooby Doo. Oh yeah. Sadly, Al passed away on October 14th, 2018 at the age of 93. Oh my goodness. Yes, yeah, so the I couldn't again I couldn't find any information on John Claire to see if he was still alive. So hopefully he was young enough, he's still kicking. Maybe he's still playing basketball maybe i hope so
2: (laughs) i hope he actually liked basketball if he was in like two movie and television things back to back
1: right so yes that was this week's who's that ghoul yay
2: and now camp counselor tish yes camp counselor Lauren. an important
1: question did you like this episode. It was a very dark episode without the humor that I usually enjoy. I do wish that they had maybe picked a different theme of the episode for their only all-black casted episode because I'm sure sure this is not what, you know, the NAACP was really looking for when they wanted more representation in TV. But, you know, Moses Gunn, I mean, god damn that man can play a Bastard. Uh <laughs> like you hate he like he is so despisable. It was a very well-acted episode and it was it was legitimately there were some legitimately scary moments. So I'm going to say one and a half severed thumbs up. Nice. Yes. What about you? In as few words as possible, please.
2: Okay. So at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned how I tried really hard to bring some sort of humor. Yeah. Apparently my humor is saved for the following line. I would give this episode two severed legs up. (laughs) It was a real slam dunk. I would also say that this is by far the scariest episode of Tales from the Crypt. And I remember watching this as a child, alone at night in my bedroom. Oh my god. And being so fucking scared of the last Scene with Bobby coming down the steps and his feet over there and Ezra just screaming. Yeah, yeah. But the other reason I'm going to go ahead and give this the two severed limbs up is because does this have any humor at all? No. But is it a beautiful example of everybody getting what they deserve?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's my logic and I'm sticking to it. I pre- I can appreciate that. Yes, at least in that respect. And I can say that about all of the ones that were like, Jesus, that was dark. That, I mean, it, at least does fit like the kind of morality tale, you know, that Tales from the Crypt tends to follow, even if it didn't have the, you know, the humor sprinkled in. Well, to go
2: with that, I wonder, what's your opinion? Would you say this episode is darker than Three's a Crowd?
1: No. <laughs> no. (laughs) No, Theresa Crowd is the one that had the extended domestic violence strangulation that just went on for uncomfortably long. i say they're both very dark in their
2: own way.
1: Yes, yes. And it's funny, one of the things is John Clare, I believe, was a teenager when that episode was shot, when he started his acting career. He was very, very young. He had a baby face. And what I discovered is is that, you know, we always bitch. I mean, and by we, I mean, as a, the horror community, I think as a culture, we bitch that actors who are supposed to be playing teenagers or, you know, kids, they always look 30 years old.
2: Yes. Like, I think in Buffy, the only person that was really their age was when they brought Dawn
1: in as a character because she
2: herself was only
1: 15. Yes. And there are total reasons. I get there's the laws and stuff, but I discovered when I was watching the, I just wrapped watching the Chucky TV show, and all of the teenagers are playing by real like I mean they look 15. I, these are actual kids. I would be shocked Aww. to find if any of them were 18. The problem is is that it's really hard to watch somebody that literally barely looks a day over 15 years old getting killed. Oh. Turns out that I was like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I take back every complaint I ever made. Give me back 30-something adults <laughs> pretending to be teenagers getting murdered, because watching actual children get murdered is actually really hard. Oh, no. And so that ties into this episode. I think that's what made it just so upsetting, is that, you know, John Claire did not look like a 25-year-old trying to pretend to be, like, a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old. I mean, he legitimately was, like, 15 or 16 years old, and he had such a baby face that that's what made the child to Scenes so damn hard is because, like, you're like, oh, but he is a baby. Stop. Don't hurt the baby. Mm-hmm. So, I really I had that revelation when I was finishing watching Chucky. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so, all right. I will carry the outro. So, bless you. <laughs> I mean this with utmost love. Please shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time I'll ever say that to you. <laughs> All right. So if you would like to support the show, you can follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us online on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Camp Creep Podcast, and on Twitter at Camp Creep Pod. And you can always... Shoot us an email at campcreeppodcast at gmail.com. And that campers is today's episode. So uh, you think you can do it? All right. As always, campers, creep Creepin it real. real. Ouch, Jesus. God damn.